Yeah, thank you, Cynthia. Well, good morning. If you got a Bible, please turn to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, as we continue our series, uh, looking at chapter 4, um, walking through this book verse by verse. Um, and as you're turning there, today's sermon is called Three Principles of Our Justification, but as you're turning there, uh, I just want to tell you a story that I read this week. It, there, there's a pretty famous um, church in Chicago called the Moody Bible Church, um, and there's a, there's a, well, there, there's a, a, a kind of a famous pastor. His, his, he served there for 18 years. His name was Dr. Iron. It sounds pretty, pretty official. Uh, there's a sto- the story goes as such, as you're turning to Romans chapter 4. Uh, he was on vacation, and he went to a church. I don't know where it was. They didn't name, name the church. But he went to church on vacation and went to, a little early, sat in a Sunday school class in the back of a room. It was probably a, a larger class. And the Sunday school teacher was talking about this and asked the question to the class, said, how were people in the Old Testament saved? And so after a little bit of quietness, somebody in the classroom said, well, by keeping the law. And the teacher said, that's right, that's good, good stuff. Then Dr. Ironside in the back of it kind of raised his hand and said, hey, well, my Bible says that no man is justified by the law. The teacher felt a little awkward and kind of felt a little, oh, well, let's move on. And so uh, anybody else have another idea? And another person in the class said they were saved by bringing sacrifices to God. And the teacher said, yes, that's it. You nailed it. That's it. You got it. And then Dr. Ironside is back and said, well, my Bible says that the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin in the book of Hebrews. And the teacher goes, oh, if you've ever, you ever taught Sunday school, you might feel the weight of this. Like, oh, somebody asked a question you don't know. And you're like, oh, well, let's move on. And so, well, the teacher says, well, does anybody else have an idea um, about what this, in, 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 about how they're saved in the Old Testament? And Dr. Ion said, said two words. He said, by faith. He said, you'll see it 21 times in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 that they were saved by faith, just as we are saved by faith. This issue today, it's a question that many ask. I have people ask the same thing about Old Testament. We always go to the law, to sacrificing animals, all that stuff. But the bottom line, none of it was complete. It was incomplete and pointed to the one to come in Jesus. Today, Paul is masterfully going to answer the question. He wrote this book to a church he hadn't been to. He's dealing with those from Jewish heritage, those from Gentile heritage. And a lot of this, we talked about this three weeks ago, and we've been going through this. And as we go through the book, it kind of helps. There were those that were banking on their Jewishness. I'm pretty awesome. I'm a Jew. I'm I'm of the line of Abraham. That's what I am. And he says, religion can't save you. None of that's going to save you. We need Jesus. We need the hope of the Messiah to come. So we all need Jesus. We need his righteousness, because the Bible tells us, we looked at it last couple of weeks, there is none righteous, not even one. There is a high cost of salvation. We celebrated that last week with the Lord's Supper, if you were here. And so this today, in chapter 4, we're going to cover the whole thing in 25 verses pretty quickly, so I hope you have your Bible. But I'm going to ask you to stand, if you don't mind. I'm going to read our text. I'm not going to read all 25, just because I want to make sure we have plenty of time. I'm going to read the first eight verses, and then we're going to pray together. But we're going to cover all 25 verses as it thematically connects. So, um, I will say this before I read and pray. If there was ever a sermon where I hope you have your own Bible, this is a good one. Uh, stay at home base. There's a lot that I'm going to throw at you, but this is a good one to read along as we're going to cover all 25 verses in this, in this chapter. Let's read the first and then I'll pray. <clears throat> Paul says this, What shall we say then about Abraham, our, fa- our forefather, discovered in his, this matter? In fact, Abraham was justified by works. He had, if, he, if he was, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and credited, credited to him as righteousness. Now, when a man works, 
His wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited to him as righteousness. David said the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man whom God credits righteousness apart from the works. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Let's pray together. We have a lot to cover, but I just want to ask you, I don't know about your week. Maybe it's been great. Maybe it's been hard. Maybe it's been, maybe the next week to come is difficult. But um, as I heard in our, our offertory prayer, may we just focus on him today. And I'm going to give you just a second in your own heart, in your own way, whatever, whatever the Lord puts on you. Uh, ask of him. If, you, if, if maybe you're distracted, maybe there's things in your mind, maybe there's things on your week. Just push all that to the side um, and ask him to do something great today, to change us, to shape us, to mold us. And he'll answer that. God, you've heard your people. Uh, you know our weeks. You know the weeks to come. You know um, what's at the forefront of our minds. You know what's at the, the, the bottom of our hearts. You know um, all things. And we just pray today, God, that you would just meet us in this place. Continue to be here. That your spirit would be thick. That you would change us. That, that you would begin with me, Lord. That this would not be a, a day of routine. This would not be a day of, 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 of a religious function as we come and we leave. But God, would you do something great today? I confess I can't change anybody in, in this room. I can't do any of that, but you can. And I pray that, that we would posture ourselves into a place where we can be changed by you. May we celebrate your grace. May we celebrate the, the, the faith that we can have in you and the freedom to walk in that. All because of what you've done, not because of what we can bring to the table. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we got a lot to cover pretty quickly. I hope you hold your Bibles, and we'll be at Romans 4. That'll be home base. Everything else, well, it'll all be on the screen for you. Um, but I hope for you and your kiddos that everybody can kind of have Romans 4 right in front of them. We can look at it together. I, I want to kind of give it to you on, this, on the slide here. This is how we're going to break down the 25 verses um, as we look at this justification that we have with God that, of our righteousness. Number one is by faith, not works. Number two is by grace, not the law. And number three, by the resurrection power, not by human effort. Now, now, if you're a note taker, I hope you write those things down because we're going to go verse by verse all the way through this, but it's very refreshing, it's very challenging, but I want you to see this. So, so, so as we go through this, the very first thing we're going to see is looking at three principles of our justification, which we talked about that a couple of weeks about being made right. We're not declared not guilty, we're all guilty sinners. You know, the work of Jesus doesn't declare you not guilty, it means you are guilty, but somebody else paid that price for you, that was last week. So Paul is going to go through this and he's going to look at Father Abraham who had many sons. Anybody want to sing that one? Nobody? Okay, just thought I'd throw it out there. He's going to look at Father Abraham, and he's going to look at the model King David real quickly in the first one, and he's going to ask this, well, how are those in the Old Testament saved? What does faith look like? What does being justified by faith really even mean? So the first thing, we're going to go right into it. By faith, not works, this is the first principle of our justification. It's by faith, not by works. Look at verse 1. Paul says, what shall we say about Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, 
He has something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham, this is important, believed God, and it was credited to him as righteous. If you would, in verse 3, underline believed and underline credited. I'll get that in just a minute. Abraham was the father of the Jews, the nation of Israel, of all God's promises. And so what they're looking at, they're, basically, if you want to kind of peel back a layer here, when Paul said, religion can't save you, religion can't save you, the Jews that are in that church are going to say, well, hey, what about, what about Abraham? What about him? If, if all that doesn't matter, then what about him? And even this, he's saying, it's not by works. Abraham was not saved by works. He was by faith. Now, look at verse 3. I want you to see something. Abraham believed. That's where the faith comes in. He believed what God said. That's going to come out over and over. We're going to talk a lot more about that. But I want you to see this. The word credited to him as righteous. Your Bible might say counted. The Greek word is ladizdome. I mispronounced that. It's a banking term, which means to count as. So your Bible might say it was counted as righteousness to you. I think this term is literally, in today's text, literally, you're going to see it ten times and it's a valid, legitimate point that we have to understand. It is a banking term, which if you think about the righteousness that we bring to the table, we are bankrupt, if that helps you think. Think about it when you take your, your righteousness before God, and you go to the team and you swipe it, and you got nothing. You, got, you bring nothing to the table. But anything we have, any righteousness, any goodness, anything in us, any faith in us, it is credited someone else put something on our account. You're going to see it ten times. It's massively important. This is Abraham. His faith being counted or credited to him as righteous. It means that God treated Abraham as though he was living a righteous life. Catch this. Not on what he did, but based on the future work of King Jesus. Not based on keeping the law. More on this later. But what, what, what is his faith? John Piper says that faith connects us with Christ, who is our righteousness, and in that sense, faith is counted as righteousness. Faith sees and savors all that God has for us in Christ, especially his righteousness. That's what faith does. And one of the most basic concepts I've ever heard about faith, and we, we talk about illustrations with faith and things like that, but one of the things I learned that I love is that faith moves us. It moves us from concepts about God into a belief in trusting him. We can all gather the facts and the figures and the stories and the knowledge, and you can know everything about God but not truly have faith and believe by faith in him. You see, our bank account, every one of us, even Father Abraham, our bank account of righteousness is empty. And it is only by the finished work of the gospel through Jesus Christ that we are credited or counted as, that's that term, righteous. Somebody else, I mean, think about how you'd feel if you went up there in your ATM, you got nothing, and then you went the next day and said, somebody put $5,000 in my bank account, and I don't know where it came from or who did it. You'd be blown away, but somebody else bestowed that upon you. Somebody else did something for you. Now, look at verse 4. We've got to go quickly. Number four, verse 4. Now, to the one who works, this is the children's sermon, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith, here's that word again, is credited as righteousness. I got, I got paid on Tuesday. Tony put the check on my desk, and you know what I didn't do whenever I got that check on my desk? I didn't run to her and give her a hug and say, thank you so much, you didn't have to do that. Awesome. 
When you get paid it, when you get your paycheck, you never get it and go like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for all that. Man, you didn't have to do that. No, you're thinking, I worked. I, 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 just, I earned that. Okay, if you're, some of y'all that are bosses, have you ever had a, an employee come up to you and just give you a big hug? Say, man, you didn't have to do that. Thank you. Awesome. No, you earned that. You put in the effort and you deserve and you've put in the merit and the effort, hopefully, to earn that check. And so what, what Paul is saying in, in, in this text in verse 4 and 5, he's saying, those who work to get a wage, they earn that. But verse 5 says, those who trust in the work of Jesus, he justifies the ungodly. And that is us. We cannot merit or work or earn. It is a gift. Just like those kids, none of them des- deserve a sucker. You should have seen their faces when I told them they weren't getting one for a second. They're like, oh, these pastors abandoned me. What's going on? That counted as, that, 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 that credit is a gift. And we know the whole, the whole, the whole New Testament, that we know that, that we deserve death, but we are credited the righteousness, that we deserve sin. That's the wage of sin, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So it's not by effort or by merit that we have any righteousness or nothing is obligated to us. Look at verse 6. David is quickly and masterfully going to take, a, take a, a, a little curve here, and he's going to move from Father Abraham, who had many sons. He's going to talk about King David. Look at, look at verse 6. David, we're still on point number one. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one whom God credits. There it is again. Righteousness apart from works. And you'll notice the quotes on verse 7. Paul is quoting from Psalm 32, and I'll explain that in just a minute. He says, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose the Lord will never count against them. There's your name in right there. You see, David, King David, the greatest king of the Jews, under whom the nation of Israel reached its highest peak, was not known for that. He was known for his sin with Sheba. Psalm 32, if you want to read, talk about a repentant prayer, it's a, it's a psalm of repentance. And, and David I'm sorry, Paul quotes David here. He's talking about blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven. Their sins are covered. They're not counted against them. Did you see that same counting term? They're not credited to them. They're not having to pay the debt. They're not having to do that. They're not held against them. So here's the point. Abraham's faith was credited to him apart from deeds. Now here's the catch. Catch this. David, King David, his faith was credited to him despite his deeds. Anybody in the room sin, struggle? fall short of the glory of God. Anybody in this room? All of us. Every single one of us. We fall short. But what I love about this, and if you just take a deep breath for just a minute and you think about Abraham, but I love David because it shows us the, 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 the frailty of human nature and man where, where, where David is saying it's by faith that the sins of my flesh will not be counted against me. It is a belief by faith in the future finished work of the gospel. Abraham trusted God by faith, that the Messiah would come from his line. We'll talk about that in just a minute. And, he, and it was with that same trust, that same faith, that he leaned into Jesus. Paul would write letter in, later in 2 Corinthians 5, said that God's going to reconcile the whole world to himself and not count people's sins against them. So we stand before glory, we stand before the Father someday, that our sins are not counted against us, not because we bring anything to the table, but because of the finished work of Jesus. That's the first principle that we see here with Abraham and David's example that they and we are justified by faith. Not just belief in existence, but future faith of believing that there's nothing they can do 
to be right with God. That's the first one. Number two is that we are saved by grace, not the law. Look at verse 9. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised? Or also for the uncircumcised? We've been saying that Abraham's faith was credited, there it is again, to him as righteousness. Uh, verse 10, under what circumstances was it credited? This is awesome stuff, by the way. Was it after he was circumcised or before? No, it's your mind. It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, as a seal of righteousness that he had faith while he was still uncircumcised. Let's say that again. As a seal of righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised. In order that the righteousness, righteousness excuse me, might be credited to them. Now just to clarify a couple of things here. Paul is saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him before he did anything. Some people believe he was, it was the circumcision. It was the law. It was all these things. But let me just debunk that. Genesis 15, 6 says, Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to, to him as righteousness. I can't say that word today. It was credited to him as righteousness. It wasn't until Genesis 17 that the covenant of circumcision even come. So Father Abraham, who had many sons, had faith that was credited to him before the law of circumcision even came to the table. See, Abraham embodies this by grace, not law. Look at verse 12. And I want you to be careful of this because sometimes if, as we read this, it's easy to get lost and think, well, that pastor, what does it have to do with us? It has everything to do with this. So I ask that you lean into this. Look at verse 12. And he is also the father of the circumcised who were not only circumcised, but also for those in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before was circumcised. Abraham's life embodied proof that God is the God of Jew, the God of Gentiles. He justified both on the same ground, that is through faith, not the law. 13, it was not, absolutely not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received their promise that he would be heir of the world. Remember the promise of Abraham and Sarah having a child. We'll talk about that. It's going to come up. But through the righteousness that comes by faith. Look at verse 14. For if those who depend on the law, I've got to do enough good, I've got to stop doing bad. For those who depend on the law are heirs. Faith means nothing. And the promises are worthless. Because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Let me explain. If all we have to do is obey the law to be good enough to be saved, then faith is worthless. Number one, it's not going to happen. You want to have a conversation with somebody and tell me that, hey, you want to go to heaven without Jesus? There's a way. You, don't, you just got to be perfect. You got to keep it all. You got you to not sin, but that's the beauty in the, of God's grace that we're all going to fall short. We're all going to fall short of the glory of God. But we can't. There's grace there. It's not the law. In verse 14, you can be saved by the law, then you don't need Jesus. But the law, here's the point Paul is saying that the law is going to reveal our sin, the law is going to show our need. We've been talking about this. He'll tell this later in Romans 7 when he's going to say this. What shall we say then? This is on the screen for you. Is the law sinful? No. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was if it wasn't for the law. For I would not have known that coveting was really against the law if he had not said, thou shalt not covet. That's what we have the scriptures. We have the Old Testament law. We have the Ten Commandments. It shows us, it reveals our need for Jesus. I heard it put this way. 
The law is a thermometer, not a thermostat. A thermometer, not a thermostat. A thermostat in your house, it recognizes the temperature. It adjusts to meet the desirable change. It will modify. It will bring change. It will adjust. It will do whatever to meet that need to the requirement. A thermometer doesn't do that. It just says you have a temperature. You're sick. You need to go get some help. You need medicine. You got a fever. I can't help you. You're sick. You can't, it doesn't adjust. It doesn't fix anything. It just shows you that you have a need. That's what the law does. Look at verse 16. Therefore, the law reveals, but therefore the promises that come by faith so that it may be by grace. There's your grace. It may be a guarantee, in case you think this sermon is not about you, look at verse 16, that it may guarantee for all of Abraham's offspring. Not only for those who are of the law, but also for those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our Father inside of God in whom they believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things into being that were not. Salvation, hope for us is by grace through faith. And did you see it? It's guaranteed. You can't earn it. You can't maintain it. You can't lose something that God has done. It is a guarantee. And in verse 17, Paul's going to quote Deuteronomy 32 and 1 Samuel. And it sounds kind of weird, but to the Jewish audience, it's going to make sense because they need to be reminded that God is the creator. God is the giver. God is the sustainer of life. But God demonstrates his power, and he does the impossible. He wants to remind anybody, even in this room, that might balk at the power of God, that God can do whatever he wants to do. And just to press the gospel, the law can't save you. The scriptures can't save you. It reveals you're sick, you need help, but you can't do it. It's to point us to Jesus. It's to point us to the Messiah. And there's no boasting. There's no man. Last week when we did the Lord's Supper, we looked at Romans 3. It's on the screen. And we're reminded of the depravity and for all sin and all of fall short and glory of God. And are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as the sacrifice of atonement. We talked about propitiation last week, about the wrath. It appeases the wrath of God through the shedding of his blood to be received. No boasting, no beating our chest. There's nothing we bring to the table. It's not by anything other than God's grace. And it's guaranteed. And the joy of our hearts, we live in obedience. Now catch this that we don't live our lives spent trying to measure up to God's standard. 25 years ago, wow, 25 years ago, a movie came out called Saving Private Ryan. Um, 25 years ago, by the way, I just want to throw that out there. Wow. Um, it's a powerful movie, and I, I, it came out in 1998, and there's this, as the story goes, many of you have seen it. If it's a spoiler, I'm sorry, it's 25 years old, so you need to go watch it. <clears throat> the movie begins uh, not with storming the beaches of Normandy. The movie begins in a cemetery. And there's an older man that's the Private Ryan character. He's in the cemetery and he's walking through, and there's some pictures we'll show you. He's walking through a cemetery and he's followed by his family and he's overwhelmed with emotion. He makes his way to a particular grave and he falls down and he kneels before the grave and you can see he's just devastated, he's overwhelmed with emotion. Family's behind him, family's supporting him. And this is how the movie starts. 
and to flash to the end of the movie, spoiler alert, you get to the end of the movie, and the young, saving, the young Private Ryan is there with uh, his, his commander, Tom Hanks, one of my favorite actors, that that's the guy on the right that's in the cemetery. He's standing before him, and, and, and spoiler, Tom Hanks dies in the movie. I uh, just want to throw it out there. He's about to die, and they've had a mission to go find Private Ryan and take him home because all of his siblings are, have, have been killed in combat. So they're going, and literally, as he's talking to his commander, what Tom Hanks tells Private Ryan, and he says this in his last breath, and he says this. He says, earn this. Then the movie starts, and it goes through the whole scene. And at the very end, you go all the way through the movie, all of them. They find him, they get him, they bring him back. It costs countless lives. And at the end of the movie, you back to the cemetery where the older Private Ryan is there, and he's standing in front of his wife, and he's looking at her devastated, troubled, and burdened. And he says, tell me I'm a good man. Tell me I'm a good man. And what he's wanting is this, is he's living a life and he's trying to look at somebody who's going to tell him, have I lived a life that earned the sacrifice of all that they've done for me? It's a great movie. But there's a lesson there. Thanks be to God that that is not the gospel. That we don't stand before others and before God saying, tell me I did enough. Tell me, I'm, tell me I measured up. Tell me I'm a good man. Tell me, tell me I did enough. Tell me I didn't do enough did something that I can have some sort of security in my life. Thanks be to God that that's not the gospel. Jesus didn't ever say to earn it. He didn't have a, a backup plan through the Old Testament, through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He didn't have a backup plan. It was all pointing to the gospel, all pointing to the fact that the law was going to come, point us to a need for a Savior, that we cannot do it, and that we don't have to live our lives because I've seen this, friends. I've seen this with people in my own life and friends and other places that, that are wrestling with life and, and students as well that, that are like, I just, I just want to, I hope I'm measuring up. I'm hoping to do this. And, and it's, 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 it's a burden. And I love this because it's such a reminder that there is grace there, that it's the finished work of the gospel, that it's not about works, that we don't have to stand before God and, and hope that we measure up to something, that we can rest on the finished work of Jesus. And our lives will reflect that. It's not a path to live how we want to, but our lives will reflect that. Thanks be to God. That's a picture of grace, not the law, that you have to live a life that's not full of joy or gladness, but out of guilt and shame, of performance to be good enough. So that's the first two. The third one, as we're going to go quickly, we get into the last passage of Scripture. Our justification is by faith, not works, by grace, not the law, and last, but definitely not least, it's by the resurrection power, not by any human effort. Look at verse 18. Against all hope, Abraham, <clears throat> in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, quote, so shall your offspring be. Verse 19, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. And that Sarah's womb was also dead. Let's talk about that just a minute. Beyond any natural reason, it makes sense what Abraham believed. God comes to Abraham, promised him salvation through his, through his descendants. He's going to have kids. And Abraham should have been like, what? <laughs> what did you say? I'm 100. My wife, we're not having kids. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't work that way anymore. I'm not, not trying to overshare here. It doesn't work that way. But you remember back in, in, in Genesis 21, this is the promise. In Genesis chapter 1, the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what had been promised. Did you notice that? Sarah didn't bring anything to the table. Abraham didn't bring anything to the table. The Lord did for Sarah what he promised. And verse 2 says, Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. 
at the very time that God had promised. God said it, and God did it. Can I ask you a question really quick? Because here's the thing. Has God ever done something or asked something of you or called you something? You're like, that is the craziest thing in the world. Nothing makes sense. Maybe it's believing right now. Life's tough or life's hard, and God's calling you to, to, in obedience or faithfulness to, to go or to step out or to be or to, to do something. And you're like, that's nuts. That, that, can I just tell you that's where God works? God often doesn't work in the comfort zones of life and sit back and like, this is where I'm at. This is where I'm good. No, God calls you out. There was nothing about that. Abraham believed when God says, you're going to have kids, and from your descendants, the Messiah will come. Wasn't about circumcision. Wasn't about any external religion. None of that came, that came in chapter 17 of Genesis. He believed by faith God said it. It's going to happen. So let me ask you this question. Is there something in your life where you're like, I don't know, I'm trying to believe, I'm wrestling, and, and God's calling you to a certain place or this or that? Do you step in and say, I believe by faith that God's going to do that? Look at verse 20 as we wrap up our text. Abraham believed, and his faith was strong. Verse 20, yet he did not waver through unbelief, didn't doubt, didn't question regarding this promise of God but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. It's interesting in verse 20 when you see the believing by faith that God gets the glory that he deserves. Look at verse 21. This is powerful, worth underlining. He says, being, Abraham, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Whew. Can I ask you just, uh, that convicts me in verse 21 to truly believe. Do you, are you fully persuaded? Do you believe that when God says something, he's going to do it, he's going to come through? That's why verse 22 says it was credited, to, credited, I'm so sorry, credited to him as righteousness. The words that was credited to him were written not for him alone. Here, hey, in case you thought this sermon was a history lesson, verse 23, it, this term credited to him was not for him alone, verse 24, but also for us. Put your name in there, for David, for, old, for us, for you, to whom God will credit or count righteous. For us to believe in him. Not in our works, not in our effort, not in anything we bring to the table, but believe what? This is where the third point comes. In him, God, who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins, and he was raised to life for our justification. I love that last part here. We see credit, we see counted, we, we're bankrupt spiritually, we bring nothing to the table and just like Abraham, just like Sarah, just like all those in the Old Testament, it was by faith in believing. It is not about anything external. It's not about just trying to be religious and do enough good, try to do less bad. It's believing by faith in the finished work of the gospel. And when we do that, our sins are not counted against us. Now flip the coin over. For those who are not Christ Jesus, your sins will be counted against you forever. But verse 24 shows the basis. What are we to believe in? For those who believe, believe in what? The law, baptism, religion, church, attendance, tithing, offering, circumcision, all these things. No, believing in what? It believes in the gospel that Jesus Christ delivered over for death. He took our death. He died my death. He absorbed the wrath of God, celebrated last Sunday, and he, he didn't stay in the grave. He, he conquered death. He rose from the dead, vindicating all that he is. For us who would believe. The resurrection validates the justification for you and anybody who calls himself a Christian. 
Because Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ was not raised, excuse me, then not only is your faith futile, but you're still in your sins. You're going to die once, and you're going to die spiritually forever at some point. But thanks be to God, the gospel is true. As I close with this, are you justified with Christ? Have you given your life? Do you believe by faith? And I don't know, maybe, maybe and I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 2, a verse to you, and then we're going to be done. But if I could ask you just to bow your heads for just a minute, I'm not going to ask you, nobody's got to do anything. I just want to just give you a moment before I read a little Ephesians 2 to you. I just want to ask you this, is that, is your life marked by a rat race of religion? Do you feel the, the burden of, maybe like that Private Ryan, like, I just try to measure up, I just try to do more good and do less bad. And And so we can do it. And we can't. We can't measure up. And maybe there's somebody, one, two, three, four, five, all of us, maybe, maybe we just need to say, I need to let all that go. And just press in and say, God, thank you for doing what I couldn't do. Help me to trust and lean on you. Maybe there's some today that don't know you, Father. Now hear this, church. Maybe there's someone in this room that know the stories and you've accumulated knowledge of God, but your faith is not in him. And there will be a day when your sins will be counted against you. To those who are not in Christ, I want you to hear this. It is not about religion. Even Father Abraham, even David, even all those that would come, they were not saved by religion. They were not saved by deeds. They were not saved by the law. They were saved by faith. And it was credited to them as righteousness. If you don't have that, maybe today could be that day. So with every head bow, I'm just going to read this over you, and then we're gonna, I'm going to ask Come on up, and we're going to sing our last song. Paul told the church at Ephesus, he was reminding them of the gospel. He says, you know, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. He says, we follow the kingdom of the air, that's Satan, and the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. And every one of us lived according to that at one point in our life. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, he made you alive with Christ Jesus when you were dead in your transgressions. It is by grace that you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and he seated us in the heavenly realms in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. For it's by grace that you've been saved. It's through faith. It's not of yourselves. There's nothing you can do about it. It is a gift. It is a gift to you, not by works, so that no man can boast. I'm just going to give you a second to pray, but I just want just to let this land on you that we are made right by faith, not works, by grace, not the law, and by the resurrection power, not by anything you or I could bring to the table, period. I want that to rest on you. I want that to maybe bring you some sort of peace. And maybe for some it might draw you to realize that you don't know King Jesus and you need to give your life to him. Whatever he's calling you, maybe you're just leaned on the law and maybe you just kind of feel like you're still trying to do good and do less bad and try to keep up with things and it's just exhausting and just, just thank him for the finished work that he's done it all. We can celebrate that today. Take a minute and pray and then we're going to stand and sing.
praise team is going to sing our last song. Just stay in attitude of prayer. Whenever you feel led, you can stand and sing or stay and pray, whatever you want to do. This is your time as the praise team leads us in our final song.